agree with everything that the late Robert Schuller said or believed, but I do believe in this statement that he made. He once said, tough times never last, but tough people do. And I believe that's true. Tough times do come to an end, but tough people don't come to their end. And this throughout history has been true of many, many significant people. Uh, The late Christian leader, Ted Engstrom, made this very famous, famous statement. He said, cripple him and you have a Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison cell and you have a John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you have a George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and you have an Abraham Lincoln. Strike him down with infantile paralysis and he becomes Franklin Roosevelt. Burn him so severely that the doctors say he will never walk again. And you have a Glenn Cunningham who set the world's one-mile record in 1934. Deafen him and you have a Ludwig van Beethoven who wrote some of his greatest music after he was completely deaf. Have him or her born black in a society filled with racial discrimination And you have a Booker T. Washington, a Marian Anderson, or a George Washington Carver. Many of you may know that George Washington Carver was a very strong Christian. In fact, he had a Bible college named after him. Can you believe that? Carver Bible College. And so it is true that tough times never last, but tough people do. Now, to have the strength to last through tough times, all of us know we have to get that strength from the Lord, as George Washington Carver obviously did. We don't have that strength, but the Lord has. That's really what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. You know that Hebrews 11 is the great chapter in the Bible of the Hall of Faith. And we discover extraordinary people, ordinary people, I should say, who became extraordinary through faith. And this morning, I want to look at one particular individual in the message I want to bring today, and that is uh, the example of Abraham. Abraham teaches us what we can expect if we live by faith. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Becoming a Person of Faith, out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. And I want you to take your Bibles there with me. And what seem like very simple words are really very extraordinary words in the life of this great man of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and Let me read for you verses 11 to 19. And what Abraham teaches us are what we can expect. What are the expectations of the life of faith? Listen to these words. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All of us are so very familiar with this story, this extraordinary account in Genesis 22. But it really is about the expectations of the life of faith that God calls us to. And let's spend a few moments together looking at them this morning, all right? First of all, the first expectation we discover here is that God will indeed test us. Now, we don't like this, but quite honestly, it makes sense. If the Christian life were easy, we would not need faith, isn't that right? If we could see everything clearly, faith would be absolutely unnecessary. But the Bible tells us that we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. And since we walk by faith, therefore, tests are absolutely necessary. Now, you will notice here that verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. That is taken right from Genesis 22.1, where the Bible says to us, And it came to pass that God tested Abraham. And we all know what the test was. It was to offer his son Isaac, who probably at the time was about 13 years of age or a little older, as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, there is no explanation, no attempt at all on the part of God to explain why he would command such an unthinkable thing. By the way, isn't that the way the Christian life often is? There are often no explanations for the tests that we go through. Now, do you know there's no explanation needed because the explanation needed is in the word itself. The word test here comes from the Greek word peirazo. And peirazo is a word that has two uses. It has a negative use of temptation to bring out the worst in us. That's what Satan does when he tempts us. That's the negative use of the word test. But it also has a positive use. And that positive use is of God who tries to bring out something good in us. So every time we face a temptation, every time we face a test, there are two things going on. Satan is trying to use it to bring out something bad in us. And God is trying to use it to bring out something good in us. Uh, many years ago, there was a very wonderful Baptist pastor by the name of Alexander McLaren. His expositions of Holy Scripture are still read by many today. And he had a sermon entitled, Faith Tested and Crowned. And in that sermon, he distinguished between being tempted and being tested or tried. Listen to his very insightful words. He said that the former word that is being tested, tempted, 
conveys the idea of appealing to the worst part of man with the wish that he may yield and do the wrong. However, the latter, to be tested, means an appeal to the better part of man with the desire that he should stand. Temptation says, do this pleasant thing. Do not be hindered by the fact that it is wrong. Trial or proving says, do this right and noble thing. Do not be hindered by the fact that it is painful. The one is a sweet, beguiling melody, breathing soft indulgence and relaxation over the soul. The other is a pealing trumpet call to high achievements. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us. God tests us to bring out the best in us. That's what God was doing with Abraham. Now, God will do the very same with us. He will do the very same with us. I've shared with you on a few occasions that early in our marriage, I was very tempted to leave the ministry. Uh, The problems were piling up. I was feeling snowed under. The stress was getting very great. And I decided that going back to uh, college was a whole lot easier than what I was dealing with. I was actually accepted to go back to school and work on a second master's degree. And I was all set to go. There was only one issue. Ellen wouldn't let me. And I learned, you don't drag your wife kicking and screaming where she doesn't want to go. And so I stayed. And what I learned later was I was running away. There were tests that God was bringing into my life that I had to go through. And if I quit the ministry, went back to school, and came back out again, guess what would be waiting for me? The very same tests. And so, as I learned that lesson, I was so very grateful for what God did in keeping me where I was, keeping me under testing, so that I could learn what He wanted me to learn. A Christian leader of a few generations ago, Maltby Babcock, said this, The tests of life are to make us, not to break us. Trouble may demolish a man's business, but build up his character. The blow at the outer man may be the greatest blessing to the inner man. If God then puts or permits anything hard in our lives, be sure that the real peril, the real trouble is that we shall lose if we flinch or rebel. And that's what Abraham did not do. He did not flinch or rebel at this tremendous test. Let's look secondly at the next expectation. Secondly, passing the test requires hard choices. It requires hard choices. The second part of verse 17 says about him, 
He who had received the promise was in the very act of offering up his only son. Do you remember in school, we had easy teachers and hard teachers? Remember? And the hard teachers gave what kind of tests? Hard tests. Guess what kind of teacher God is? He's a hard teacher. And to pass his tests are not easy. Now we all know the story. That's the amazing thing. Abraham did not know the story. We know that at the last minute, as he was ready to plunge the knife into his son, that God was going to use an angel to call to him and say, Abraham, don't do it, don't do it. Now I know. Now I know that you love me more than anything else, and God was going to provide a ram in the thicket to become the sacrifice instead of Isaac. But Abraham did not know that. All Abraham knew was what God had said. The hardness of this is emphasized here in the text because it says he was offering up his only son. Uh, Some of the older translations say his only begotten son. Uh, By the way, just an aside here, this is the answer to the Jehovah's Witnesses who say that when the Bible speaks about Jesus as the only begotten Son, that that means that he was born or begotten. It is clear here that that cannot be the meaning, because Abraham had another born son, didn't he? Ishmael. So what does only begotten mean? Well, only begotten means only unique. One of a kind. What it means is that Isaac was chosen for a very special purpose. He was the son of promise. In fact, we see that in the very next verse because it says about this only son, this is a very special title then, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. So what this means is all of Abraham's dreams were bound up in this son. It made absolutely no sense. No sense whatsoever. By the way, if God's whole goal for us is to be happy, what do you do with this? right? If God's desire for us is to simply be happy, that's his whole plan for us, what do you do with this? You know where the Christian finds happiness in? Doing God's will. That's what makes a Christian happy. And Abraham was willing to make this hard choice. Now let me just take you through the Old Testament scenario. Remember what we learned about Isaac being promised. First of all, God covenants with Abraham concerning his seed. 
Abraham and Sarah wait 25 years for the promised seed. The conception of Isaac immediately follows the institution of the rite of circumcision on Abraham, which you know was the sign of the covenant that God had given to him. And Abraham was 100 years old, and Sarah 90 years old when Isaac was born. Somebody else has developed it a little bit further. If you go back before we are introduced to Abraham when he was 75 in Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah waited at least 25 years for Isaac and possibly as long as 35 or 40 years. Abraham had shown his complete faith in God's promise by leaving his home and everything behind, going to a land he didn't even know where he was going. And it had been made absolutely clear that Isaac was that chosen seed. And now, in spite of all of that, God says, I want you to make this very hard choice. I learned from this that becoming a person of faith means making hard choices. It means making the sacrifices that God requires. My sister attends the large Wheaton Bible Church down in Wheaton, Illinois. And her pastor regularly says to the congregation, make hard choices, do hard things. When it comes to the road and there's a fork and and here's the easy way and here's the hard way, and maybe following God is the hard thing to do. Make hard choices, he says, to his congregation. You see, becoming a person of faith is all about making hard choices. Uh, Some time ago in Christianity Today magazine, a writer by the name of Ajith Fernando talked about the hard choices that people coming out of pagan religions have to make when they become a Christian. Listen to the things he said if you come out of Buddhism or or you come out of Shinto or you come out of Islam or Hinduism. These are the choices that you have to make and they are hard. There is a cost that is involved. Listen to what he says. One who trusts in Christ alone will completely give up his idols, horoscopes, and other such practices of his old life that go against Christ's lordship. When a true believer is made aware of any area of his life that is not yielded to Christ, he will yield it. When he is made aware of a Christian principle to be followed, he will follow it, whatever the cost. So when a new believer finds out that a follower of Christ should love his enemies, he will do so, even though that seems sheer folly in today's society. When he finds out that a follower of Christ cannot pay a bribe, He will stop paying bribes and pay dearly for it as far as his success in society is concerned. When he finds out that a follower of Christ treats both high and low caste people, both rich and poor people as equals, he will do so however hard that may be for him. See, passing the test, requires hard choices. William Barclay has a a wonderful little note at this point. He says, This story of Abraham and Isaac teaches us 
that we must be ready to sacrifice what is dearest to us for the sake of loyalty to God. That's what God wants. This story teaches us that we must be ready to sacrifice what is dearest to us for the sake of loyalty to God. It takes hard choices, but that's what living by faith is all about. Now, there's a third expectation in this story. Thirdly, faith in God's power is the key to passing the test. Faith in God's power is the key, always the key, to passing the test. By the way, do you remember how long uh, the journey was to get to Mount Moriah? Three days. Three days. Go back to Genesis 22. The Bible says Abraham got up early in the morning. That would have been a day I would have slept in. That would have been a day I slept in. Abraham got up early in the morning and he traveled three days with his son following him. Have you ever wondered what he was thinking? What was going through his mind? Well, this is one of the wonderful things about comparing Scripture with Scripture is because the Bible often gives us insights to what Old Testament characters were dealing with. And what Abraham was thinking is revealed to us in verse 19. In fact, what we could uh, understand here, look at this. It says, he considered. He considered. That is a very interesting word. It comes out of the accounting uh, background. It is a word that means to calculate or to conclude by reasoning as a, uh, uh, an accountant does as he is working on a, 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 a financial account. So Abraham was calculating and he was thinking, and notice it says he considered that God. So Abraham was thinking about God. By the way, isn't that a good thing to do in our trials? You know what I do? I think about the trial. That's what I think. And I think, you know, what can I do to get out of this trial? And how can I manage this trial? And, and who can help me with this trial? That's what I do. But Abraham was thinking about God. Uh, do you know that um, what is going on here is Abraham is involved in a syllogism. I should have, um, you know, some of our professors that work with logic and so forth come up and explain this. A syllogism is where you have two premises, and if the two premises are true, then the conclusion is true. If one of the premises is wrong, then the conclusion is wrong, but if both premises are true, then the conclusion follows. This is an incredible thing that is going on in Abraham's mind as he travels for three days. Let's look at the syllogism. Here's the first premise. God never breaks his promises. Verse 17 says, he who had received the promises. And so Abraham knew God never breaks his promises. Second premise in the syllogism. God wants me to kill my son. That's very clear. 
He was in the act, verse 17, of offering up his only son. Now let me ask you, as you think about this, these are contradictory, are they not? How in the world can you reconcile these two? My son is the key to the promise, and I know God keeps his promises, but I also know I have a hard thing to do, and that is I have to kill my own son. What is the only conclusion that makes sense of this? Well, here's what Abraham concluded. God must be planning to raise my son. Now, please note this. Abraham did not conclude God is going to provide a ram, and I'm not going to have to go through with this. That's not what he concluded. Look at verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That's what he concluded. Now let me ask, could you still go through with it? Could I take my boy, lay him on the altar, pull the knife out, and say, this doesn't make sense, therefore God must be planning to raise him from the dead, and so I'm going to do it. That is still unthinkable. And yet Abraham trusted God's power would raise his son. Do you know in all the Old Testament, there's only one instance of a person coming back to life after they were dead? It happened in the days of Elijah. This had never happened. There had never been a resurrection. Abraham believed God's power could do the impossible if he trusted in him. He believed if he did the right thing, God would take care of the details. By the way, God did. When it says here, figuratively speaking, He received his son back from the dead. That expression, figuratively speaking, is a reference then to the ram that became a substitute for his son so that in a symbolical way he got his son back from the dead and the ram became the uh, substitute in his place. What a wonderful example of Christ this is, isn't it? Talk about the Old Testament being fulfilled in the new. That's exactly what happened. Do you realize what we must do? We must leave the details to God. That's the point. I've written down in my notes at this point, I believe if I do the right thing, God will take care of the details. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in these hard tests that God brings, 
if you will do the right thing, God will take care of the details. We'll never live by faith until we can say that. I'm at a fork in the road. This is the easy way out. This is the obedient way. I want to go this way because it's easy. I will go this way because it's right. And knowing it's right, I believe God will take the details, though I cannot see how this syllogism will work out. That is the test of faith. Many of you know Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a very famous book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Harriet Beecher Stowe was a pastor's daughter. She never fought in the Civil War, but she proved the adage that the pen is mightier than the sword. Uncle Tom's Cabin was very influential in causing people to see the horrors of slavery and rise up and say, even though it will cost us a bloody war, we are going to stop this evil in America. And Harriet Beecher Stowe, a pastor's daughter, wrote that influential book that has made such a huge difference in American history. Listen to what this woman who never fought in the battle had to say. The Bible divides men and women into two classes, those who trust in themselves and those who trust in God. The one class walk by their own light, trust in their own strength, fight their own battles, and claim to have no confidence otherwise. The other, not neglecting to use wisdom and strength which God has given them, still trust His wisdom and His strength to carry on. The one class goes through life orphans, The other class has a father. The other class has a father. And how are we going through life? Are we going through life as orphans? Or are we going through life with a father? Because when the tests come, we make the hard choices. And we trust God to work out the details. That's how we become a person of faith. May the Lord help us. Abraham's example lives on. It lives on in us. Let us trust Him as we do what we know is right by faith in the midst of the test. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, I pray that you might forgive me
for the many times that I have doubted you. I pray, O Father, that you might forgive my whining, my complaining, my poor me spirit. When all you were doing was trying to make a man of God out of me. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for behaving like the world. The world values comfort far more than character. The world values pleasure and ease far more than being strong and sturdy people. And today we confess, Lord, that our questioning of you is truly born of unbelief and a failure to understand that if we will honor you That no detail, no matter how impossible, is too hard for the Lord. We hear the words of the pre-incarnate Son of God when Abraham doubted that he could have a child. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And those words ring down through the pages of Scripture. For time and time again we hear the Lord saying, Nothing shall be impossible with God. Only believe. All things are possible to him or her who believes. Father, Today, encourage us and challenge us. Some of us today, Lord, have to confess we're playing it safe. There are challenges that you have brought to us, but we are shrinking back. Because we do not believe that if you cause us to step out in faith, that the plank beneath us will hold our weight. There are decisions that some of us ought to make so that we can be more centrally involved in the work that God is doing. But we won't make those decisions. Lord, some of us, this very moment, may be involved in patterns of sin and disobedience. And we are convinced that our only way of being happy is to remain in this sinful way. And we will never discover, Lord, that true happiness comes in being in the will of God, not being out of it. And so, Lord, whatever idols we must give up today, 
Whatever challenges we must be willing to face, whatever syllogisms we currently cannot work out and find the conclusion that will come from the premises that seem to be contradictory in our life, may we know that you have a solution. And the Bible says, he who honors me, I will honor. And may it be our desire, Lord, to have nothing more important in our hearts and in our lives than the honor of God upon us. That whatever pleasure we could enjoy, whatever comfort we could have, pales in comparison to being honored by the Lord God. That is the highest aspiration any Christian could ever know. That the honor of God would be upon our lives. And so, Lord, today may we seek that, may we trust you, may we become people of faith. And others around us will see it, they will notice it, And you may do a work in their lives because of it. Thank you today for your living word. A wonderful example of your friend, Abraham. And you now call us your friends as well. Lord God, today we express our love to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name. Amen.